Hello, hi, and a particularly warm welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and it's time for an Ask Me Anything. The Ask Me Anything that I asked for questions for back in November and December. I think I asked a couple of times. Um, Because I thought it'd be nice to have a conversation with you, and also I am publishing this um, in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, and a lot of my scheduled podcasts have been postponed. Don't worry, normal service will resume soon. But as I put this off, because I'd had so many brilliant guests recently, I thought, oh, actually, this is the perfect time. I'll just, I'll chat to you lot. I'll answer your questions. How lovely, how brilliant. My most excellent listeners and I can have a chat on this particular episode. These questions have all come from the Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes. And I will just say this. I do get asked quite a lot on social media or on email, where do I find the show notes? If you are listening to this episode, you are already within the platform, the service, the provider, the website that has the show notes in. It's just a case of uh, if you're in a particular um, internet, uh, not internet service provider, podcast platform, you have to click three dots or go to more info or swipe up the screen or whatever. But you are already there. That's where you can find the hyperlinks with anything that's mentioned. So just a side note. Um, I do hope you're all keeping well. I have done a sense check in the Facebook group and I said, look, do you still want me to keep creating content? Does it matter if it's not super serious? And the overwhelming response has been, please keep doing it. Please keep doing what you normally do. Um, We appreciate the distraction. So that's my green light and that's what I'm going to keep doing. But please don't think I'm being insensitive and don't understand how freaking serious the situation we are in is. But... Shall we go straight in? Yes, that was me clicking my fingers. Um, Shall we go straight in? And this one actually from Nora is um, quite, quite, quite timely. I think she posted it a couple of months ago, but the question is, Hi Emma, my question is about day-to-day sanity, I guess. I don't care much about products and stuff, but I'd love to know what you do for clearing your head each day and getting rid of or ignoring the build-up we get from social media and everyday life. I just learned this week that climate anxiety is a thing, which I now obviously have. What do you tell yourself every day to stay in a positive mood overall? Sorry if this is too vague or something I own, only I have. I will admit I'm a bit tipsy. Nora, you're in a safe place. Welcome to the group. Welcome to the family. You are definitely a most excellent listener. Um, it's such a good question and I guess also really, really timely. How to not get uh, bogged down mentally, how to not think that things, uh, how to not get bogged down with negativity, how to keep a positive outlook and mindset when maybe, you know, you're dealing with things, whatever they might be, work, life, relationships, friendships, whoever, whatever. Um, I can definitely, and I think that's one of the things I talk to all of my friends who have had periods of depression or anxiety, all of us who have worked hard on it and feel like we are able to manage it now, will say that it feels like actually having something of a superpower because you can see it coming a mile off, which means that you can deploy all relevant tactics to make sure that it stays at a good distance and doesn't um doesn't bite you on the arse uh to put it mildly and actually I was listening to a uh, podcast with Dr Dr Rongan Chatterjee who obviously has been on this show he had Rich Roll who's a mega mega um podcaster in the states on his podcast and he was talking about how he um was in alcohol recovery and he had a lat and he had a relapse for a few hours, but it was quite a significant lapse. So he had to literally dial back after I think it was 13 years, he had to dial back to zero his sobriety and start again. And he used the expression, which I've since learned is is quite common in the fellowship in 12-step programs, but he used the expression of I thought that in recovery I was getting further and further away from my addiction. But what I didn't realise is that um my addiction was just doing press-ups in the dark, waiting for that moment to pounce which I thought was I found quite moving I was driving when I um, was listening to that and I found it quite arresting it sort of made me go oh wow gosh and I think that's the same about positive and negative mindsets if you've been through a low period if you've been depressed if you've struggled with your mental health and you feel as though you're through it you sometimes you, you sometimes worry that it's it is going to come back quick and fast which is why I think you're sort of almost you have this superpower and you're on high alert to see it coming in the distance and as I say deploy all relevant tactics I know I went off on a bit of a ramble there but what I mean is I think whether you've had mental health issues or not whether you've suffered with depression or not whether you're a pessimist or not I think it's good to check in with yourself 
just every morning and just say, how am I feeling today? Truth be told, I am on day eight of self-isolating to protect others more than me. I'm not symptomatic. And um, it's getting to me. And I, uh, yesterday evening, I got a migraine. My jaw is incredibly tight. I woke up this morning, my eye was weeping. I was like, oh, I really want to work out this morning. And I felt, and I could feel, right, today has the potential to be one of those days that I could let drive me rather than I drive it. So I rolled out my yoga mat. I did a load of stretching. I like stretched my neck out. I did a lot of deep breathing. I spent a lot of time in child's pose. And I was able to actually lessen the, how, the feeling of the migraine and then to sort of get going. But it was because when I sort of did that systems check when I woke up, I thought, hmm, yeah, something's definitely wrong. Um, you're not you're not that chipper today, Em. So I uh, did what I thought would be the right thing. I didn't work out. Sometimes working out is the answer. Sometimes it's not. Intuitively, I felt like being really gentle with myself was the answer this morning. I haven't put my contact lenses in. I haven't put makeup on. I've blow dried my hair. I've done a bit of yoga and now I'm just very gently sitting at my desk talking to you. Um, It's very, very easy to consume social media, watch the news and feel as though everything is bleak. And I do feel like, especially with the news, I don't often have news television on. So when I think about, I say don't often have it, I've never really had the news on. I'm not one of those people who engages in televised news that way. I've always really got my news in the newspapers. But I remember if I think about significant events, I think about things like 9-11 or elections. And that was when I would watch televised news and the screens would be breaking news, this, that, and it would the screens would be very animated there'd be lots of red there'd be lots of you know um the things scrolling across the screen going up and so you'd constantly be stimulated and then on a normal news cycle those things wouldn't happen and recently when I've engaged in news channels not just in recent times but maybe in the last couple of years or so I've noticed that they the the way that the television screens are laid out is in a similar way to when what we used to associate with really really big news events and it's just it's just to keep you watching because let's face it, TV channels are businesses, and they the more viewers they have, the better things are. So I tend not to engage in those sorts of televised news channels too much because I find the breaking news thing it takes me back to other instances, other periods of history that perhaps weren't so great. So my advice to you is, particularly around the time now, I know we're not going to talk too much about the coronavirus, but my advice now is watch. Um, your leader's daily address. We've Boris Johnson is doing one every day in the UK. Don't look at Twitter. Don't retweet or regram or anything. Don't get your news from there and just look at trusted resources. And I did a podcast recently on some really good sources of information on what's going on at the moment. They're not sensationalized. They're with epidemiologists who are experts in infectious disease. So not only is it James Alch is doing brilliant content at the moment where he's just keeping everybody updated by speaking to experts and analysing the data on a week-by-week basis. But also there's some brilliant stuff with Joe Rogan with an expert in infectious disease called Michael Osterholm that really kind of explains the genesis of all of these sorts of things. And one of the things he says during the podcast, because Joe says, geez, you're making me nervous, Michael. And he said, oh, yeah, and by the end of this episode, I'll have we'll talk about how not to be nervous. So I feel like they're more helpful resources. So um, in terms of clearing your head and ignoring the buildup we get from social media in everyday life, I would really choose carefully what it is that you consume, what media you consume and who you listen to and who you follow. Jules Von Hepp gave me such a brilliant piece of advice and it was on this podcast when he came on the show a few years ago where he said, your Instagram feed is for you, not anybody else. You follow who you want to follow. You engage with what you engage, what you want to engage with. So if you want to look at pictures of birds, if that makes you happy, follow, you know, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds and, look at, and have that come up in your feed. Don't follow the person at work who makes you feel less than. It's as simple as that. So I guess that's a very long-winded say, way of saying... Um, well, I would say check in with yourself in the morning, but also check in with yourself when you go to bed. It's like, did I have a good day? Is there anything lingering from today that's either going to make my sleep crappy 
or is going to make me feel terrible or is it or am, am I carrying anything over in tomorrow that could make tomorrow less good than it could be and then in the morning just check in is there anything I can do I, I like going to bed with everything tidy. So that's like my little ritual to like tidy everything up before I go to bed. And then, yeah, just choose what and who you consume and who you interact with. I think that's really, really important. Um, and that does over time clear the mess and the build up in one's head. I don't know if anyone else has any tips, please do uh, comment in the Facebook group. I'd love to know what they are, but I hope that that gives you some uh, insight or helpful tips or some uh, useful guidance on where to go with that one, Nora. Thank you for your question. Catherine, you're next. Sorry if this topic would span both the career and lifestyle areas or is something already planned, but I would love some discussion based around career and motherhood. The notion of trying to time it correctly so you can achieve both. The pressures on women who are married or in long-term relationships, long-term happy relationships, but still feel some of the same worries that those not in relationships feel about whether the time is right or time is running out, financial pressures, etc. Maybe a discussion with multiple guests who have done things differently and their experiences. Sorry if this is a bit of a ramble. Not a ramble at all, Catherine. I like this. Um, obviously, my perspective is um, one area of this that uh, probably isn't going to be very helpful in answering your question. But as and when things change, and it is possible to get multiple guests on the podcast, I will be looking to speak to working mums uh, about this obviously my decision has been not to have children I've never been broody um so I've, it's not something that's and I've never thought oh is time running out apart from when I thought apart from when I thought oh actually in the next few years I'm going to have the menopause and that's going to lead to hormonal changes and hormonal and broodiness is in many regards hormones um and I just thought god I really hope that I don't as part of my menopause, I don't get that surge in hormones that makes me feel broody and then have that whole thing of why didn't I do it? Because right now here today, not in the menopause, I feel very good about my decision. But I just, I worry about my hormones playing tricks on me. So I, I almost am saying that to put it on tape so I know exactly how firmly I feel about it. But anyway, um, Catherine, in answer to your question, I will try to create that as a panel discussion because I do think that's a really interesting discussion. And I do think... I do think if you are in your 30s and you're thinking about, uh, did you say you were in your 30s? Uh, I don't think you did. I think it was the previous previous question, wasn't it? Anyway, um, if you are in that mind headspace where you're thinking, my time is running out, should I do it now? But if I do it now, I could potentially um, sabotage or maybe minimize my uh, potential in business. I do think that's a conversation that would be really good to have with um, a panel of guests. So yes, I will work on that. Laura. Laura asks, hi Emma, I'd love to know more about the rewards of podcasting, financial or otherwise. You clearly invest a lot of time and energy into producing the podcast, which is much appreciated. Thank you, Laura. I wonder what your motivation is and whether there are any financial gains to be had for podcasters in general. I'd also be interested to know whether guests are paid. Again, this could be discussed on a general basis. Thanks. Thanks, Laura. What a great question. Um, The rewards of podcasting in the main genuinely are... Well, in, is my interaction with you my most excellent listeners because without you there is no podcast is there otherwise I'm just a very sad woman talking to thin air not being listened to um for me also what is really important is getting great people on the podcast I mean there's obviously different layers of shows but okay in the main so let's look at the experts I really try to uh, cover subjects that you are interested in or are curious about or feel um, perhaps you would like to understand with more clarity and then I work really hard to try and find the right guest for that conversation the right guest meaning I'm very exacting about who I have on the show I'm sure uh, there are some people who I've said no to who probably feel a little bit um, hard, not hard done by but just feel a bit like well that doesn't seem fair but it's just if I think that there's any hokum, if I think that people are pitching snake oil, if I think people have a shtick and they're using that shtick to monetize and they've or they're just someone who's got a load of followers. No, that's not going to happen. You can have 50 followers, but be an expert in your field and you're going to get on the show. And so that for me has always been really important because that was something I never really felt like I with any journalistic pieces I wrote not that I wrote loads because I wasn't that great at the long features, but um, 
you you know when you hit a sweet spot you know when you hit a bullseye with content and I was always in the outer ring of the dartboard or the archery board or whatever you want to say when I was trying to write it because there's always a bit more of an agenda and things get edited whereas with long-form conversations you get to really open up a subject and then people i.e. you get to take away from it what you want to take away from it and I and I feel like that's become that is a really valuable resource I was um, using podcasts as my own therapy for a while um, and that's really what I wanted to do is just kind of create shows that armed you with as much information as possible with with people who you could genuinely 100% respect so there's there's that sort of thing so when I say experts I mean when we're talking about things like perimenopause and having Dr. Sahar Rockhead on and having Dr. Elaine McQuaid, Dr. Elaine McQuaid on or I'm talking about uh, skincare and I get Dr. Dennis Gross on or I'm able to get uh, Dr. Emma Wedgworth on. People who actually 100% know their stuff are qualified. That's really, really important to me. So then we move on to things like the slightly more fun episodes where it's like me, Caroline, Trini and Nadine. And it's just women shooting the breeze whilst Trini's ordering breakfast. Honestly, you should have seen my face. But also just having a really good time with each other because that kind of bonding conversation, I think, is, I mean, it was lovely to be a part of, but the overwhelming feedback I've had is it was lovely to be a part of even as a listener. So um, in that case, I just try to get people on who I just think are really awesome, good, solid people. And uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to call a lot of those people my friends. And then also my background is the beauty industry. And so I have met so many wonderful incredible people in the beauty industry and whenever I think about the beauty industry I think about Michelle Doherty who came on the podcast really early days she is the founder CEO owner of Alpha H Skincare and she came on really early doors and she is a formidable businesswoman and I'd always been a little bit intimidated in her company but also really wanted her to like me (laughs) and we did the podcast and she opened up and after that I just felt like I know I could ring Michelle up at any time and she I hope she would feel the same. I just think she's an incredible woman and I got to know so much more about her than just the fact that she produces these incredible skincare products that can do wonders for people with troubled skin um, and um, other skin types. But I, um, I learned so much more about her in that conversation and that was a real starting point for really peeling away the layers of these wonderful people who I've known for many, many years and just kind of taking a conversation, taking a slight U-turn or taking a slight left turn away from the brand or their expertise or experience and really understand um, the business side. So that that for me has been really rewarding. It might sound um, a bit lame, but that for me, like really getting to know people in the beauty industry and unpicking some of these brand stories has been really fascinating. You often only hear those stories when it's fantastically rich, wealthy people who you know are on a Forbes list or they're best friends with a celebrity or they are a celebrity and I think we sometimes forget that um yeah it's not it's not just about sort of you know big names everyone in the industry has a story and every as as you will tell if you know the back catalogue there are over 300 episodes um everyone has a story James Reed Michelle Doherty uh I was about to say Jordan Samuel, but we couldn't record but I hope that next time he's in London we'll be able to record and even people like Caroline Hirons whose um, experience in the beauty industry is so vast and now she does what she does and uh, her story is incredible and she likes Duran Duran if you you didn't know. So those are are some of the rewards, sort of being able to, to really produce these conversations that I hope are valuable and entertaining and comforting and a good company but also um I try genuinely try so hard to listen to what you want. I know at the beginning of the year I said I want to surprise and delight you and me by tackling subjects that I wouldn't normally go for and the response to that has been so positive and so supportive so thank you so much. But I'm not going to go after something unless I think it's going to resonate. So um as much as I listen to you and I listen to all of you I read all your emails and I read all of your DMs and I try very, very hard to make sure that I get what you want. I also do try to say, well, how can we just kind of find a little wiggle room, wiggle room around this and and grow? Which is why I had Dom on, the um, professional dominant, and you loved him. And he will be coming back. Don't you worry about that. Um, uh, the rewards of podcasting, financial. So main, for me, pro- the rewards are obviously being able to create the content. Financial, yes. If you listen to the podcast, you'll know there are adverts. 
and I do ad reads and that is how I generate revenue. But the other thing that the podcast has done for me is that it has let a lot of people in the media know that I can conduct interviews and so I've been uh, I get jobs doing panel hosting panel discussions I've also been able to showcase my knowledge a bit so it's been able to um, I've been approached by brands to work with them whether that's on consultancy or new product development or maybe um, on some sponsored posts which I hope you don't mind me doing I will just say this because it's been really bothering me for a little while when I did um the Christmas podding, the daily podcast in December, some of the episodes were quite short and somebody in the States uh, messaged me saying, your episode today was more ads than it was content. And I'm really, really sorry about that. I don't always have visibility on what happens in different territories and it would never, ever be my intention to shortchange you or have you feel like that. I listened to Joe Rogan Last time I, I checked, because obviously after after I got that email, I then went and listened to about 40 different podcasters and timed how long their adverts were. And some of the advert breaks, particularly pre-roll, can be up to 10 minutes. And I always just fast forward through them and I don't think anything of it. So I just sort of assume, you know, that you've got that function on your thing that can fast forward 30 seconds. Um, I But I do sort of, I don't want it to be something that you feel is dominating and equally I don't open up my mid-roll on the podcast which is one of the most lucrative places to place advertising because I don't want to be having a conversation with Dom about um, being a professional dominant and then mid-sentence you hear and then there's a 30 second advert or a one minute advert for um, insert wellness advertiser here I just don't feel that that's appropriate so I don't ever open those um, just so you know so that would be a revenue stream that I don't even don't even don't even entertain because I just I think it could potentially minimize um what's the word I'm looking for it just might make the content seem less legitimate and it just why why would you want to be interrupted when you don't have to be so there we go um but again I'm really good friends with the red-handed podcasters Hannah and Saruti who've got their true crime podcast they do really well so we sometimes chat to each other about how to maximize these things I am looking at Patreon and I've been looking at looking at starting Patreon for a while, which would be there are different layers of supporting a podcast or a content creator. So it's like you can pay two dollars a month, five dollars a month, eight dollars a month, ten dollars a month, whatever. And you get depending on what you pay, you get additional content. Um, but this feels like the wrong time to do it during the coronavirus. But that's not to say that I'm not using this extra time to explore it. But it would be nothing on this feed would change. It would be that um, you would get additional content um if you were to subscribe but I mean actually I'd be really interested to know what you think about that are you like for crying out loud Emma no um or would you be up for it I've had I have had messages in the past from people saying um we would like to support you so if you start a Patreon we would subscribe we would become members I see I don't know how it works I don't know the right terminology yet anyway I shall leave that in the air and you if you wouldn't mind letting me know if you feel strongly either way about it I'd be really really grateful all right, let's give on to Holly. Oh, this is the 30-something question. That's where I got um, mixed up. Hi, Emma. I guess I have a bit of a 30-something and single question slash topic suggestion. Precious to find someone. Clock is ticking. Do you need to be with someone? Can you be happy alone? Is it enough? Why do people judge and should they judge? Should you compromise if you do get into a relationship and how much? I'm sure I could go on and on. I would say I'm still relatively new to the podcast, so may have missed previous discussions on this. I recall some areas being covered by Estée, that's Estée Lalonde when she came on the show. I think this would be interesting for the demographic of listeners, I am assuming. Thanks, Holly. That's a really interesting question. And I do think it's worth opening up to discussion. I know a lot of people, Estée included, who um, we... <laughs> so you can tell I'm stumbling. I find it difficult to articulate a little bit because I think every time I've spoken to any friend who is married or in a relationship for years. In fact, a few more recently who are a little bit older, but I remember in my 30s if I'd say, yeah, I mean, I would like a boyfriend, but I'm honestly not fussed. They, I could tell they were looking at me thinking, and they would say, you're saying that because you don't have it. So, and now I'm 42, I think the sort of tone has changed, and I'm like, well, I really, 
If it comes my way, yes. But I feel like those years of thinking I should be on red alert for it and I should I should be uh, looking for signs. I think that's probably just gone a little bit. Um, and also I work for myself. I live for myself. Um, I a single income household you know I I put a roof over my head I'm not saying that if you're in a relationship you're looking for somebody to do that but if you're looking for a relationship you're looking for somebody to do that but obviously it means that the things that I'm looking for are maybe slightly less than I would have been looking for if I'd been in my 20s I guess in my 20s it would have uh, what somebody earned would have been a consideration Am, am I being really um shallow by saying that probably Probably, I'm sorry. Um, so yes, I do think that could be a really interesting one for a group discussion, maybe with someone in their late 20s, someone in their early 30s, someone in their late 30s and me. What do you think about that? Um, I believe you can be happy alone. I think you always, I think anybody I know being really honest about this, uh, I worry about the future and if I am in a state of need and what will happen then, because who would I turn to? I have friends, but I also... I have cultivated quite strong boundaries, which I think I, again, I probably need to work on. But I do believe that's a really good conversation to be had with a with another interesting panel of carefully selected friends. Maybe I get Estee back. Would you like Estee back? I do enjoy Estee a lot. She's great. Um, I'm just going to double check that question to make sure I haven't missed anything. Da da da. Okay, Beth Shepherd. This might only be of interest to a minority, but a podcast on eating disorder recovery for adults would be helpful, particularly methods to prevent self-sabotage and maintain motivation. Discussing how to switch off from societal messages about losing weight when there's a need to gain weight to become healthy would be helpful. Beth, that's a really interesting question. Um, I just did the podcast with Mandy Saligari, which was obviously which was more about food addiction, but it really highlighted to me how complex this is and actually how how little um resource I've ever really seen on this um and so I do want to create something uh helpful and healthy on this and that is in the works I know you probably messaged this um in December and it's now March um but it is something that is on the way so please please be mindful of that also I know I've talked about the book Brain Over Binge that I read and felt sort of help me recalibrate my relationship with food but I know that Catherine Hansen the author is creating extra content now for people who have stockpiled food meaning they've got more food in than they would normally and are struggling with how that feels and so I will put the link to Catherine's uh, social media and podcast in the show notes I think she's blogged about it because I do think uh, anyone who has any kind of who eats when they're anxious, anything like that is going to be struggling now because, I mean, I don't know about you, I've got food delivery coming, but it is certainly not robust enough. And I don't know where I'm going to get food in the next, after two weeks because there are no delivery slots. So where am I going to go out to the supermarket? Am I not? Who knows? But I'm sure it'll all even out. I'm sure it'll all be fine. But I think what I'm trying to say is, is at the moment, I think a lot of people I'm seeing, uh, when I was on social media earlier, lots of people are talking about the fact they're snacking and whatnot and eating their way through their supplies. So I think this situation has really highlighted the conversation I had with Mandy, but also um, the conversation I had with Mandy really uh, highlighted to me how much support is needed for somebody who is in eating disorder recovery and how helpful it would be to create a show that really spoke to that. So thank you for that question. It is on the way. Carol, think I remember you mentioning a while ago about getting back into dating. Have you? How are you getting on? Any tips or advice? I'm a year on from a bad breakup and need to get back out there. Yes, I did talk about it. So I was going to sign up with a dating agency. Not because, again, it's dating for me falls into, I suppose I should, as opposed to, I really want to go to the Maldives. Like there's a definite different tone in my approach um but I did sort of think I get I always do this around my birthday at the end of last year I thought right I'm gonna have to address this at some point because it feels like I should again that should word so I thought I I haven't really ever enjoyed the dating apps I think they're too 
I just, yeah, I mean, sort of broad statement. I've never really enjoyed the dating app, so I thought about joining a dating agency. So I contacted Jean Smith, who was on this podcast ages ago when she published her book, Flirtology. She's a dating expert. And I asked her advice and if she knew of any good dating agencies. And Jean came back with this feedback, and so did a couple of other people, actually. They said, for women, it's just not a good investment. I really wouldn't recommend it because women are prepared to invest, but men, the, the sort of rough paraphrasing of what most people who came back who have experience in this said to me was, women will invest in it, but men won't. So often what happens with a dating agency, not all the time, but sometimes what happens is a dating agency will charge women and not men so that they get enough men on the books. Therefore, what's the incentive? And you're just kind of paying for a potentially similar experience as you get on the apps. So I did go back on the apps after I got that feedback and I tried to have conversations with people and that didn't go anywhere. And so I thought, you know what, the most common thing blokes say on dating apps is, I'm not here to chat. Like if you're not willing to meet up, then don't bother. And so <laughs> I just realized there's so much to be interpreted from how I, uh, how I chose to do that accent. Um, so I just, anytime I matched with someone, I just say, hey, do you fancy a coffee in the next week? And one bloke came back and said, sure, as long as you're not a prick. And I just thought, right, so if you try to have a conversation, it goes nowhere. And if you directly ask people out, it goes nowhere. And I've never been very good at flirting or doing that kind of <laughs> being sort of coy or uh, luring men in. So I just thought, oh, balls to this. So that's my attitude at the moment. Also, uh, currently self-isolating, so no dating action happening. <sighs> um, but that's not to say that whole thing about dating agencies and like where to find dating dates uh, isn't a conversation I don't want to have because it does seem to be that if you want to do it, you have to go to like a class or you just have to go somewhere. I think Jean does this where you go out, a group of you go out and she's like, right, go over and talk to that one, ask that person this thing and they... They uh, walk you through it. Uh, Coral, 26 Habits. Did you think about turning it into a book? If so, how far along are you? I did. I did. And then I read James Clear's Atomic Habits and I just thought, I cannot put a book out about habits with this in the world because it's a perfect book about habits. And I highly recommend that you read it. I'll put the link in the show notes. I have had a conversation with a couple of publishers. I then came up with another idea that I thought could be really good. But I have to be really honest with you. I just, I don't see the point of writing a book for the sake of it. It would be brilliant for my brand, obviously, Emma, published author. But I just don't see the point of doing it unless I truly, truly love it. And I came up with an idea and I thought, oh, I really like that. Yeah, I can feel that happening. And then it's been six weeks since that meeting and I've never once sat down to sketch out the idea or take it any further. So I think... Maybe that's laziness, but I just think with a book, because of how long it takes and because of how, because of the investment, everything, time investment, everything, I think you have to really feel like you want to get it out of you as quickly as possible. And I don't feel like that about 26 Habits. I feel like it exists really nicely as a year long series. And I, I feel like I am ready to sort of park that now and just do it. Um, and if there is a book, it will be on something else and it will probably be slightly deeper. It might it might be about some of the conversations that have been on the podcast, but I don't know yet. But um, it is it is an idea that does keep sort of going back and forth. So I'm sure something will happen. And I know, and I'm, I'm quite, when it comes to creativity and content, when I know, I know, and I will just go right all guns blazing and I'll go for it. I'm all or nothing. So, but I haven't had the uh, all idea yet. I've only had the nothing idea. <laughs> So um, I'm not going to do the 26 Habits books, uh, the book. If you want, um, the only thing that does annoy me is that the pool where I was publishing the podcast as well as on here closed down and all of that content is lost. And I should at some point try to see if there's a way of collating it all back and then creating a 26 Habits uh, web page on my website. But again, uh, I do feel like it exists really nicely and all of the show notes kind of, tell the story too so there we go but thank you for your question coral harriet i know you love dogs why don't you have one i want one but i'm scared of the commitment which at 41 feels a bit ridiculous i i love dogs i love i love all animals i've never met an animal i didn't like i don't think um i don't have one because i rent and i also don't have one because it would as much as it would be nice to i guess have some sort of something that means that I have to be in a certain place at a certain time 
I am so used to my freedom now. I think I might find it quite, quite a lot. So it's not, it would, it's something I would love. And actually I live near a big park and there are lots of dogs. And when things have changed, when we're through the worst of this. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard, fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, I might offer to, there are some people I chat to who've got dogs and I might say, if you want me to walk your dogs, just let me know. Cause I go for a walk around the park every day. Um, if I can. So, uh, who knows, maybe I'll do something like that. So I'm sort of half owning a dog. Um, Annie, busy days and so much great advice out there on diet and fitness. What are your top five daily rituals that you couldn't do without like brushing your teeth rituals, but obviously not brushing your teeth. That's given so much great advice out there on diet and fitness. What are your top five daily rituals you couldn't live without? Okay. About diet and fitness. I, um, I believe in movement like moving first thing in the morning. I believe in whether it's stretching, whether it is doing an, like, like an exercise, whether it's doing an exercise. So I have a little home gym with a BOSU ball, a couple of five kilogram weights, a 10 kilogram kettlebell and a yoga mat. And I create, I've, I've written three workouts, one for lower body, one for upper body, one for core. And there are three, there are, each of them is a circuit and I do them three times and that takes just over 30 minutes and I that is a great way to start the day or I go for a walk in the park so they are non-negotiable the only time I won't do any of that is if I have to get up early and go straight into London I just think well I will get the slightly earlier train and walk from the station to wherever my appointment is which is usually about half an hour 40 minutes and so I just think well I'll get that's how I'll get the air in my lungs that's how I'll get my lymphatic system moving so that's one movement um I do like to have coffee in the morning I know I should chug it down with some water or have some water as soon as I wake up but I don't but um I do really enjoy having a a caffeine hit in the morning and um that is one of my rituals whether it's a great one or not I don't know um what's another one I try so hard now or I have understood that snacking does not do me any good. So I don't snack. I have my breakfast, I have my lunch, and I have my dinner. And that has become something that I've implemented since reading Brain Over Binge. Uh, because for me, snacking never really stopped at, stopped at a snack. So the best thing to do is just to not do it. So that's my third ritual. I Once I stop eating and I try to... So once I, when I say once I stop eating, once I've had my dinner... I leave it an hour and then I have some sort of herbal tea, whether it's a peppermint tea or whether it is a sleepy time tea. I find that absolutely just brilliant for sort of setting me up for bedtime. And it's also just sometimes when you finish your dinner, you think, oh, I fancy something sweet. And I think, no, no, if I can just hold out and have that will actually, um, it does stop me from feeling like, oh, I fancy snacking on something else. Again, snacking is obviously a bit of an issue for me. And then the other thing is before bed, just again, doing that stretching, unkinking my neck, unkinking my back and just going, how do I feel? Is everything all right? Those are my rituals, I guess. They're not particularly exciting, but that's them. Um, Pauline, you mentioned the binge eating book and said that you've lost weight since reading. Can you talk about this, please? Of course, I did a podcast about it, a mini show, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Um, I read Brain Over Binge at the right time. I don't know if it would have had the same effect had I read it a year ago or 18 months ago. But it was like, it, as I said on the Mandy Saligari podcast, it was, if there was a series of dominoes, my entire life, the dominoes have been in a series, but the space between them has been too great. And a series of events meant that those dominoes got closer together. And so things like having breast reduction surgery, having my picture taken next to Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Hurley, uh, my imminent birthday which always makes me feel a bit Ugh, and thinking oh gosh do you really want to be battling your weight in your 50s which I don't um so all of these dominoes just got closer together and then I read the book and that was kind of the last domino to actually make me act and do the things that I had always not been able to do like stop eating and because I've always exercised the exercise has never been the issue and actually since I've cut down my eating I've actually been exercising less but I have lost weight 
Um, so maybe that mini show will give you a little bit more of the insight. I, I, I'm not really talking about what I've done to lose weight. Obviously, I've just stopped snacking and I've, I'm just really mindful about portion size. And also, I swear by Ian Hayes' seven-day basket. If I cook myself a really delicious meal from that book, I feel like I've eaten really, really well. Whereas before, I'd sort of snack and snack and sort of unsatisfied, like snack and then be unsatisfied, snack and then be unsatisfied, and then eat some dinner and then be unsatisfied and be like, oh, I need a snack. Whereas now every day I know I'm going to have something delicious for dinner because I've got that book and and I haven't found a meal in there that I don't like. So um, I would definitely suggest listening to that mini show that I did a few weeks ago rather than me repeat the whole thing here. But that that book came at the right time. And I will say this, Alex Light recommended it to me and I ordered it, I think I ordered it on next day delivery and I was really nervous that it wouldn't have an impact on me because Alex has spoken very highly of it. And I have I had subsequently read other people saying that it changed their lives. And I thought, what if I read it and it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me? And, but I think, I, like I said, that's why I think a year ago it might not have had the same impact. It was a series of events that meant that I was in the right headspace to apply what the book tells you, which is which is really, really useful. And to stop sort of overthinking it and just think quite uh, I quite like the simplicity of how you have to think it's just quite linear so there we go Lauren asks what brings you happiness and contentment in your life um knowing that my friends and well my family are well knowing having good friends it's obviously a bit challenging at the moment because those things are all things that I have to keep at a distance that we're all keeping each other at arm's length because of the current situation with self-isolation and social distancing um what brings me happiness? Um, work, the podcast, really, really does make me feel good. It gives me a purpose, which I think is really important. And also um, the contentment part of it, and loads of people have said this recently, and Jeff Tom- Thompson talked about it as well, is just that being still with yourself. I think going back to the very, very first question about the build-up of social media and news and noise... I think it can be very easy to almost disconnect (laughs) and I think that very easy process and not time-consuming process of just checking in with yourself. Do I feel all right today? How am I? How do I feel about this situation? I've noticed that served me really, really well. Like I used to come away from some social situations because I was so desperate to please and make sure everybody else was all right. I'd come away and think, I don't think I acted brilliantly in that situation because I was so worried about what other people were thinking and doing that I actually didn't check check myself so um I think that I think you can always tell somebody who's quite centered and quite calm and who's um looking at the situation rather than do you know what I mean like looking into the situation rather than being led by it um so contentment definitely comes I think from things like meditation deep breathing and just being quite still. Jeff talks about being still. Um, and I do think it's something that feels so unfamiliar, but it's a good thing to do. And at the moment, in uh, self-isolation, uh, there's a lot of scope to be still. <laughs> and I'm trying to see the positive in the current situation and be still a bit more. Lisa, what are your top seven skin and makeup products that if you had to leave the house in a fire, you'd grab? Not wishing a fire on you, though. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, they're not branded products. They are not. They are just types of products. So cleanser, a good cream cleanser would do me just right. Thank you very much. Um, I do have my favorites. I like the glycolic one from Superdrug from the B range. I love that one. Um, but the SkinCeuticals cream cleanser is really good. But any cream cleanser, I wouldn't want anything foaming. And I probably wouldn't want a balm. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... Serums are one. So for serums, I include my... Hyaluronic, my antioxidant, and my retinol deodorant. I'm currently swearing by the uh, Kate Somerville D Scar Cream for my breast reduction surgery scars, and I think it's flipping excellent. It's only available in the states though, um, but it is amazing because it comes in a little tube and it's got a roller ball, and so you twist the cap, you dispense a little bit, you close close the thing again and then you massage it in and scars really respond to massage so it's a it's a brilliant product i'm really really cheered by it. i think it's um i've had great results with it i think 
Um, also, I'm a big, big fan of the Living Proof range. I've been using the full range recently. I've switched from using Invati and I've gone over to Living Proof full and it really does beef out my thin hair. So I think I would bring, I would grab the entire range with the like the mousse and the um, thickening cream and the lot. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to just bring a shampoo. Um, one, two, three, four, five. So what else would I bring? Moisturizer. I do just like a very... I mean, I've got my serums, I know, but I know I'd want like a, a cold cream at some point. So I'd probably bring a pot of Nivea or um, if money was no object, some pro collagen marine cream because that stuff is delicious and lovely. Or the triple lipid moisturizer by SkinCeuticals. They're incredibly delicious. I like those very much. And what else would be absolute skin? And, well, makeup, makeup. Hmm. Probably done myself in there by doing six skincare. Um, Bad Gal Bang Mascara by, Men of, by Benefit is insanely good, insanely good. And I reckon if it was that and or one other thing, probably the Charlotte Tilbury Manic Magic Vanish in two, which I could use under my eyes and around my nose just to make my my to take out the redness from my skin and would make my complexion look quite good. They are brilliant products. I absolutely love them. So, yeah, those would be mine. Uh, deodorant, I use Mitchum, by the way. Yeah, okay, there we go. Ulia, Ulia, Ulia. Do you find it difficult to navigate... Do you find it tricky to navigate female friendships? How about the work-life balance? Um, are they, I'm going to address them as two separate questions. Do you find it tricky to navigate female friendships? No, I think I find it difficult to navigate friendships in general because I am codependent. So I can, I can uh, really fall in love with my friends. And then they mean a lot to me. And then it can be really hard when you realise you don't mean the same to them. So I've, in recent years, because I fell foul of that terribly and it really hurt, I, um, I try to have better boundaries. But in, so in general, no, I, I like all my female friends. I'm, I'm a loyal person. I try to seek out loyal people they turn out not to be loyal I'm like okay I'm good to know but I don't I used to cut people off and just go no that's that's the end of that I feel very betrayed um and now I'm like you know what that's who they are lesson learned they still have some wonderful qualities let's just move on um so I do think female friendships can be the most wonderful thing you can have in your life but I think the most important thing is understanding your own boundaries and knowing what you're getting out of something. Because if you're alive, as I have in previously, so this is not me with any judgment, but previously I have wanted or expected or needed more from my friend than is reasonable for them to give. And I used to, um, which meant me, made me overgive to sort of go, well, if I'm doing this for you, I kind of somewhere down the line would expect that you'd do the same for me. It was, it sounded... It, it well, honestly always came from a very loving place but when you say it out loud like that it's quite it does seem not so nice so anyway uh, there's that and then how about the work-life balance I don't think I can speak very well on that because my social life and my work life blur so hugely um most of my friends are friends that I know through the beauty industry or through the media which is fine by me and it means that inevitably when I'm socializing work will come up um, I don't have that. So I don't have a group of friends who know nothing about my work because um, they're all people who are my colleagues, friends, or I, I've known from the industry. So I don't think I'm a great person to talk about work-life balance. But that's actually a really good idea for a, a podcast with an expert who can actually say about how to draw, be boundary, draw those lines between professional relationships, friend relationships, friendships, um, and the like interesting thank you I, I really really like that I will um I think a podcast on the work-life balance would be really interesting if you want to hear it don't forget ask in the Facebook group that's really important Jenny asks about handbags any recommended mid-range budget any recommended mid-range budget I mean to be honest I always go to TK Maxx and just get something in the low-end designer range that's been heavily discounted so my my or to be honest my I usually just wear like a tote um, again from TK Maxx because um, I put so much garbage in my bag when I'm out and about and I've got so much kit but my nice handbag is a Jaeger one that I got from TK Maxx and it was a steel and it's quilted and it looks the business 
and I use it when I'm feeling particularly bougie. <laughs> so I always just say TK Maxx. Uh, I like the Jaeger ones. I also bought a really nice one from Reese a few years ago in the sale. Um, but yeah, m- most every day I wear I wear quite a big bag because I've usually got books or what have you in them. Laura, I guess you receive a lot of products from great brands to try them. Do you think there is any gadget that really worth the spend that's really worth spending a lot of money on? For instance, those expensive rollers or Ferreo. Interesting. I don't believe in the rollers. They feel nice, but don't expect them to do anything for you. I mean, they do. I've got a jade roller or I've got, I think I've got a rose quartz one. And when I have a migraine, it's actually really nice to rub it on the back of my neck and over my eye because my it's usually my sinus. My sinuses inflame. And so um, the cooling feeling is really nice. But um, those things aren't going to do anything to the quality or health of your skin. Ferreo is a really nice cleansing tool. It works with... Um, by, by vibrating and it's got those rubberized um that rubberized surface so it can kind of really get in there and deep clean but i i'm not really i would use it but i honestly i love a microfiber cloth when it comes to devices for me the only ones that i think are wonderful partly because the technology has really advanced in the last 10 years or so are ipl at home machines as you know if you're a regular listener or you saw me on nadine's channel i am a big big fan of the Philips Lumea it's an IPL device that allows you to uh, treat at home with I mean the sort of lay not layman's terms but people would say laser hair removal but it's inaccurate to call it a laser it uses intense pulse light so you and the intense pulse light the the light is attracted to the melanin in the hair and so and then uh, and the it sends heat down the follicle can you hear me going get the word out Emma get the word out sends the heat down the follicle and uh kills weakens the follicle and so with repeated use you can actually really reduce the uh the hair that is coming out I've definitely noticed it I've been quite religious with it recently and I've definitely noticed that some of the hairs particularly on my chin are much weaker but I have a stubborn follicle it's going on my tinder profile my my follicles are stubborn so they do I have been treating them for a while, but they will need continued treatment. I'm not one of those people who's going to just use it for six months and they're going to disappear completely because I do have quite stubborn hair. So there we go. But I use it because if I didn't, it would be much worse than it is. Um, And then the other one, and there's also a brawn one as well that I know that uh, my friend uh, Anna Newton really likes. That's the Anna edit. Um, And then the the other expensive device, what am I thinking of? Why is it just evaporated from my brain? I've got the intense pulse light IPL. I, I mean, I love a, I love a silk appeal. I love any kind of epilator too. I'll come back to it. I'm sure there's another one. I'm looking around to see if it's um, charging behind me. Anyway, no, it's not. But that that is a brilliant machine. I do think that's really, really good and well worth well worth it. I also think. Um, Electric toothbrushes are worth it, particularly the Oral-B, which has got the round head, because I've spoken to a lot of dentists and they all say, that's the one, that's that's the business, that's going to get your gums, teeth, etc. in the healthy estate. So I would say that they are very much worth it. Uh, Elise, Elise, is there anything about your job that you don't like and what else would you do career-wise apart from what you are doing now? Do you know what? Um... There are things about my work that I don't like, definitely. And when I went freelance, I think I thought that I would be, that by going freelance, I was um, eliminating those things from my working life that had bothered me in an office. You know, whether it was meetings that could have been an email, office politics, or, you know, people being territorial, any of that stuff. So when, when I'm doing my own things whether it's the podcast or consultancy or working with other people and and something begins to jangle or you know my nerves begin to go I think this is really good because if you loved it a hundred percent then that just seemed that just seems ridiculous I'm pretty sure that Madonna before she's gone on stage in the past has gone oh I could really do with a night in or has had to go to a production meeting and thought oh I really don't want to be bothered by this um I'm sure that even people who we would 
perceive as having amazing jobs with incredible financial reward and adulation and stuff that I'm sure that there are elements of it that they don't like movie stars I must I assume must feel the same so yes when I do sit down and I think oh I don't want to have to speak to that person about this thing or I don't want to have to jump through that hoop I do get irritated and then I think this is what it's about you should you should have something that you don't like because that makes you appreciate the days when you get to do a podcast like this or you get to travel somewhere and go and do an interview with someone who's only given who's only giving one interview while they're in the UK in the case of Andy Puddicombe from Headspace he's only doing one interview in the UK and he's giving it to you that's like a real win that feels really gosh goddamn good so I think that it's perfectly fine to have um parts of the job to parts of your job that you don't like I think I think you should in a way as long as they don't outweigh the good as long as it's a a healthy balance um and what else would you like to do career-wise apart from what you are doing now I'd just really like to build on this if I'm really honest I'd really like to do a live event which obviously all live events are off at the moment I'd really like to do a live event whether it would be like a day-long thing with talks and guests that's really on my radar or something to do um I would like to write a book, but again, as I said earlier, it'd have to be something that I really, like, you have to love the idea so much that you can't keep the book inside you, I think. Um, Yeah, there are plans. Watch this space. (laughs) Lauren, I know this this is often a contentious topic and one we shouldn't ask about as it's a very personal thing, but if you were happy to share with us, I'd be interested to know about your child-freeness, whether it's through choice or circumstance, whether you have always known that you would not have children, whether it causes you any conflict or regret or not at all. As someone who has lost two children, I'm now in a place of considering whether or not to keep trying to have a child. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm very interested in other women's choices and experiences either way. If it's too personal a question, then feel free to tell me to bog off. Lauren, we do not shy away from emotions on The Emma Gunn Show, and I'm happy to answer that. Um... I've never had the urge, as I, I alluded to earlier, I've never had the urge to think I want children. But a few years ago, I had friends who were mums who would often talk to me about, you know, your window is closing and if you're going to do it, you want to do it now. And there was a sort of sense of urgency to get a boyfriend and to, because, and then it was like, if you get with him, then you'd have to think about when you want to get pregnant and then that would be this and then you'd be this age when this happened. And again I just sort of my eyes would sort of blaze over I can't really explain to you why I've never wanted children I like kids I've always been slightly scared of them but um because I think you can hurt them quite easily I was I used to be really scared about dropping them and then I hung around with lots of young kids and I'm better about that now because actually I did drop one once and it was fine <laughs> but but um it's a combination of choice and also circumstance I've never been with anyone and had that conversation about do we want to have kids so uh, it's sort of it's a it's just never come up um does it cause me any conflict no do I regret it no I worry about my menopause hormone changes um surging my broodiness but I've already mentioned that but that's why I'm going to be in the good care of a hormone doctor to make sure that doesn't happen and that I ease my way into the menopause um like a beautiful swan (laughs) hopefully that's how it will work potentially a bit optimistic um yeah, I mean, if the only time I've ever thought about having a child is just thinking about kids who are orphaned or, um, yeah, need, would, would benefit from a home. And I sometimes think, am I selfish? Because there's there's probably a kid out there who would benefit from, from a, a home that I could potentially give them. And sometimes I think about that, but um, not too deeply, not enough for me to look into it. But again, it's a really interesting discussion. And going back to the earlier question that covered this in some part too, it might be interesting to get a few people on the podcast to really talk about this uh, with 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 different experiences. Um, so, Lauren, thank you for that question. I will definitely explore that in more detail. Uh, Linda, I'd love to know how you have developed your ability, your ability to speak so confidently. What are your tips for dealing with a crisis of confidence? Oh gosh. I think I'm just a loud mouth. <laughs> um, it's very easy to speak confidently when no one else is in the room, which is exactly what's happening right now. Um, so I would say, 
I would say listen to the episode I did with Caroline Goida, the uh, vocal coach and uh, speech therapist. She's brilliant. And I know that people have listened to the podcast, not only the long one, but she did a mini show about, oh my God, you've got stage fright, what to do in this moment. And people have listened to that and gone and done presentations at work and they've had, they've said it felt completely different. It felt completely different and actually afterwards people came up to me and said you seemed so confident you seem so together so I'll put the link to the Caroline Goida podcast in the show notes because I think that's the best way um I've always just liked attention is the true true answer <laughs> I just just like being heard just like I've just always liked having the floor but you only get to keep the floor if you've got something interesting to say so I guess if there's any trick it's that um you know, you can be a showboater, but you've also got to have content and you've got to have something that people want to listen to. So maybe it's a combination of the two. And the final question, Sarah says, an update on the new boobs and how they have changed your life or not. Thanks. Um, yep, they're fine. <laughs> the breast reduction was, let me think, nine months ago now and they've settled. I definitely still am surprised by them every single day. <laughs> But in a, but I've also forgotten what the old ones were like, and I don't have any pictures. And I'm tempted to contact my surgeon and say, could you possibly send me my before pictures? But I think they would be quite... I think I'd be quite shocked. But anyway, um, the best way I can describe it is that I didn't... It, it, I actually still have an old sports bra from big boob days. And I put it on the other day and I stuffed it. And... I know that sounds so ridiculous, but I just didn't realize how much I was working around and how much it was in my way. And the other thing it's done, which has been really wonderful, and yes, I've already talked about this, I've lost a bit of weight since I had the reduction. I lost, I've lost weight before and I've never, I've still never liked my body shape. And then I've never really seen it because I had these big, heavy, saggy boobs. Um, and now I've lost weight and I, I can see my body. And I was talking to Joe Jones about it the other day because she, I think she said something about you're dressing differently and clothes look different. And I, I just feel completely different. And even exercising, I feel more capable. I'm not, I didn't realize how much they were because you just have them. So you don't know. It's only when you, when you have the surgery, you realize, God, they actually, they were in the way a lot and they impacted whether I could do this or whether I could do that. So um, yeah, they, it does feel life changing. Um, and it, but it also feels quite, quite trouble, troublesome to sort of say, yeah, um, in, you know, invasive surgery is life changing. Cause I don't want anyone to suddenly just go, all oh, right, well then, okay, it's normal to just go and do that. It isn't, it's a really big consideration, but for me personally, I just feel like it's made a huge difference. And I, oh, I feel so glad that I did it. I feel so glad that I did it. I, cause I do, I, I, even I was with Jules von Hepp the other day. We went to One Rebel and we did a spinning class together. And I hadn't seen him for months. And I walked in and he went, oh my God, even the way you're sitting, everything is different. It's completely different. You're carrying yourself. You're walking completely differently. And it is, it's like your shoulders, you're so used to carrying something so heavy that after the fact, you sort of hunch your shoulders up around your ears. And it's taken me ages to be able to relax my shoulders and just walk with my head up and my back straight because I'm no longer sort of um hunching to hide big boobs so yeah a long answer to a, quite a simple question they are great thank you very much they haven't been affected by the weight loss thank goodness because that'd be a bummer they are smaller though um but I'm fine with them and it does feel like a, it does feel like a very positive thing that I did even though it was scary and risky and expensive and all of those things I don't regret a second of it and I'm really really pleased that I did it and again if you want to know a little bit more about that entire story if you didn't hear the podcast I did a whole episode about how to find a surgeon what consultations are like how it feels I did probably gloss over in that episode because I didn't remember pain I probably made the recovery seem really easy. And I will just say this. My friend Robin, man for himself, reminded me a little... I was at dinner. I was like, oh my God, it was so easy. And he went, hang on, Emma. You were messaging me telling me how effing bored you were and how you were over it and how it was a pain in the ass. And he's absolutely right. I was bored. I was really bored during the recovery. But I, 
in that podcast I talked about, I didn't really feel much pain. It wasn't really, it was a bit uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. Because I felt that that was the important thing. But he was like, don't forget how bored you were. Don't forget how frustrated you were that you were physically unable to do certain things. So just remember that. And I thought, yes, he's absolutely correct. So I'm putting that right in this episode. What brilliant questions. Thank you so much to everybody who took the time to write in. All of the questions came from the Facebook group. And as I said, if you want to join that community, and it's a brilliant community of thousands of listeners of this podcast, please do join. Particularly at the moment, we're keeping in touch with each other. We're sharing um, fun stories. We're asking lots. There's lots and lots of really lovely activity. I know social media can be um, perhaps sometimes not the healthiest place, but this is definitely the best of social media. The people in that group, you lot are incredible so please do click the link in the show notes and join because i would love to see you there um if you have any other questions from anything that i've said during the show then please do email me at the at gmail.com comment in the facebook group or dm me on social media where i'm at emma guns and if you have a question that you would like me to answer on a future episode then again the at gmail.com that facebook group or twitter and instagram are the ways to ask me thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your time your questions And just all of your support, especially at a time like now. Thank you so, so much. I really hope that you're looking after yourself and your loved ones and staying well. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.